0: And welcome back to the Controversial Author Series. Today, we are going over Miss Flannery O'Connor, known for making uh, some bold statements for her times.
1: Everything must rise. Let's do it.
0: If you are new to the Codex Cantina, we cover the most important literature that has influenced even today's authors. If you're down for conversational approach to literature, make sure you hit that subscribe button to join us.
1: And I am Crypto O'Connor. Uh, and always we start off with publication information everything must rise was published in 1965 and we have a very unique opportunity here we're going to leave a link down in the description for you we can listen for free and our friend hannah has done this specially for us so please 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 go check it out so
0: flannery o'connor a very catholic writer Not afraid to pull any punches or maybe step on some hot buttons in her writing.
1: She's my Jane Reb, right? (laughs) She goes there. She
0: definitely goes to the moment of grace. It's a very common term when discussing and analyzing Flannery O'Connor because a lot of her stories lead to this moment, what they call the moment of grace, when they realize the things that they've been doing wrong or should have done differently, or even just kind of like that ending salvation moment is kind of the signature Flannery move. And we have this story coming out right when civil rights and integration is happening. So it's a very topical event to kind of be writing about for the era that this is written in.
1: Yeah. And during this time, we have a change in culture of how white people are viewing black people as they're moving throughout, you know, the country. And this is happening basically during a time period of upheaval of kind of civil rights and and how the two races are going to mix and interact with one another. And we see that very blatantly in this story.
0: And it's interesting as we look back at it in our 2021 era, we had a recent article released in 2020 that talked about Flannery O'Connor, and she had written some letters that had some expressional moments of of racism, right? But in her writing, we have a very different Flannery in terms of representation of how she actually wanted to be. And that raised this interesting topic, not only from a writer perspective of what do you express versus what do you represent, but I think that's something that's very important for the story, too, of what are you representing and what is it that is is actually you're expressing. And it's, it's kind of a theme for this story, I would say.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think that she's doing that because... I think she might not know this herself and that we see during the 19, late 1950s and the early 1960s that segregation is going away and that the races are being forced together. How are they going to interact with one another with having such you know, disparaging ideas of one another? Because it comes from both sides, right? It's not just a one-sided viewpoint here that's kind of depicted in the story. And I love that, that you get to kind of see yourself of who are you in this story.
0: It's interesting, our friend Hannah that does the reading that we're going to leave a link to below, she also had a video where she talked about another white Southern author, William Faulkner, became more honest when his pen hit paper, Like There's something about once his pen started to write, he perhaps expressed a different personality than how he expressed himself normally. And that's interesting, too, with the title of this piece. It comes from a French philosopher with Remain True to Yourself. But move ever upward toward greater consciousness and greater love. At the summit, you will find yourselves united with all those who, from every direction, have made the same ascent. For everything that rises must converge. And that's where we have that title with the ideas as you ascend towards something eventually... You know, whether you're looking at it from a mathematical perspective of approaching infinity um, <laughs> you know if you're looking at it from like a, a biblical standpoint of approaching heaven, there's a lot of different ways to interpret that but I think that key point right there is remain true to yourself and that's what we need to break down in the story today.
1: Yeah so I think as we kind of go through the plot you can kind of see of what is this that is that is rising up between all of these characters.
0: So a quick plot breakdown, and then we're going to move into some of our analysis of this. A man named Julian takes his mother to stress reduction classes each week at the Y. To get there, they have to take the bus. The buses are now integrated, and the two bicker over their views of the African Americans, where the mother has a view of living in the past and viewing African Americans as inferior. They get on the bus and there are no African Americans on the bus at first. The mother and other patrons make derogatory remarks about how nice it is to not be bothered by the integration which causes Julian to cringe. However, a black man soon enters the bus and the white folks start to rearrange themselves away from him. Julian tries to get closer to the man and tries to interact with him, but makes sure the others see him do it. Now later, a black woman and her child enter. She's wearing the exact same hat as Julian's mother. (laughs) However, the black mother wants nothing to do with the white folk as Julian's mother fawns over the adorable small black child. Both parties get off at the exact same stop. Julian's mother tries to give the boy some change. They're refused, and the black mother winds up. Julian closes his eyes, and when he opens them, the black mother is walking away offended as his mother lays down on the concrete. Julian chastises his mother, reminding her how times have changed. The mother has some form of an attack as Julian fears for his mother's life
1: End plot. Lots to unpack there. It's a very dense story for being so short.
0: Oh my gosh. Flannery is a master of characterization because we start off with very different interpretations. I think than what we probably land up on for these characters, right? The mother starts off talking about her landowning grandpa who had, you know, the slaves, they had this mansion, they had decadence, but it's all built upon this, what we would now call the sin of slavery, right? Exactly. And she says things like, they should rise, yes, but on their side of the fence. And her whole stance is kind of living in the past, in the segregation, in the heavily, heavily, heavily racist times of slavery time America.
1: Yeah, she definitely has this disassociation between the races. Like, well, it's fine, but I don't want them, you know, encroaching on my whiteness per se.
0: And along comes Julian. And I wouldn't say you love him at first, right? Like Flannery does a job of making sure that he's a little bit gray with how impatient he is with his mother. With quotes like Julian did not like to consider all she did for him. But every Wednesday night, he braced himself and took her. So he's kind of, you know, pretending to be the martyr. And even in the the book, kind of compare him to St. Sebastian. So if you didn't know, St. Sebastian was an early Christian saint and martyr. And according to traditional belief, he was killed during the Roman Emperor's persecution of Christians.
1: I think, yeah, in the beginning that Julian is a very complicated character because we're supposed to sympathize with him a little bit in the beginning of the story, but we're going to see him change through the course of story and that he's setting himself up to be this anti-racist, but really he might not be. He might not be as bad as his mother or he might be as bad as his mother. We really don't know, even at the end of the story.
0: Well, and it's interesting because we're reading this in 2021, which is going to be very very pro anti-racist in 1968, America, you know, that's a a much more progressive statement for Southern Americans.
1: Yeah. And even in the story, Julian remarks, the old world is gone. The old manners are obsolete and your graciousness is not worth a damn. And I think that here you see that this is sort of acceptable. And he accepts it in his mother, but he doesn't want her outrightly, blatantly being racist towards, you know, the little boy because he sees that giving her this money uh, is an insult, right?
0: Well, and his whole life is based on teaching her this lesson. Even in the short story, we have the quote, he would have liked to teach her a lesson that would last her a while. And I think a lot of people are kind of like Team Julian from a 2021 perspective, particularly they're like, <laughs> yeah, teach, teach that racist old lady the, the lesson that she needs, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, Mom, you got to get in the now. You got to get in the no. It's not cool to say that anymore.
0: Well, and what's interesting is both characters think they are on the righteous path. So let's move into kind of some colors and symbolism, maybe a minor point, but I think it's important to talk about because I think it plays into this theme of everything that rises must converge. And, you know, they talk about how ugly this hat is and there's a couple of colors mentioned. And it reminds me of the river by Flannery O'Connor, where she's very deliberate with how she chooses her colors, right?
1: Oh man, this hat cracks me up. I literally laughed out loud. (laughs) This dang hat. (laughs) All right, let's do some colors.
0: So, the hat is purple, but you'll also notice that at one point Julian's eyes become a, quote, bruised purple. OK, and violet is the ancient royal color and therefore symbol of the sovereignty of Christ, according to the Bible, which is what, you know, the place from where Flannery is writing from is a heavily Catholic view. And it's at this moment when he was kind of bragging about his mother being humbled, right, humbled before the sovereignty of, of Christ, if you will. That's when his eye becomes the bruised purple. And you'll notice that the hat is going to be a symbol of being humbled, too, for the mother, because the, 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 the people that she dislikes the most right, the black community, a woman comes on wearing that same hat and she's humbled instantly. So The colors play an element to that with Flannery. You also notice the hat was also green, a very different color from from the hat itself. But also the woman that came onto the bus had on a green dress as well. And a lot of biblical scholars will agree that the primary meaning of green is immortality, but it can also be a symbol of resurrection. And this is leading towards that, that everything must converge moment of how each of these characters are now given a, a moment of grace, a chance to reconcile their mistakes, because we're going to see that Julian makes some mistakes. And we already know that the mother has some mistakes, too, in terms of being racist. And I think Flannery's expressing that specifically.
1: Yeah, these colors do a great job of kind of pulling in that biblical element to tie in the, the flaws that we'll see in Julian later, even though they're already very apparent in the mother.
0: Right. And then the last color I'd point out is just the sky blue, which is placed on the martyr characters, basically. So Julian, who plays the martyr, like St. Sebastian, right, he's got the sky blue eyes, sky being the color of blue and Yahweh, according to the biblical law and and, and descriptions. then you have the boy actually had a blue feather, right? The little innocent boy, which the Bible always talks about. Be like children, be quick to forgive, be quick to forget hate and quick to love is is what the Bible would teach us from from, you know, Flannery's
1: view. Yeah, exactly.
0: So the hat, to me, kind of represents this converging of different parts, right? He talked about how ugly and how disparate all the different colors and parts were for this hat, and they kind of came together. And it's also very meta the way that you have the mother who dislikes, the you know, any, any black individual because she's racist, is brought together in the same way the hat's brought together by different parts when a person, you know, her foil, this black woman, comes onto the bus well, I say foil, but the black woman isn't exactly loving. She's also a little bit prejudiced herself, where when the little boy goes near the mom, like she's like, get away from them, as if the little boy was going to catch a contagion, I believe it was described as
1: yeah the hat here to me is the connection between all of us, and I think Flannery is trying to point out that it doesn't matter what color you are that we all have kind of this same root of all of us, and the hat represents that because each woman's kind of like huh, you know you could you can picture them in your mind's eye, staring each other across the bus, you know, kind of giving that up and down look, checking each other out, and then they you know zoom on on that hat and they're like oh, maybe we're not so different after all because they equally hate each other and they equally have and love this really obnoxious hat.
0: Well, it's interesting too, because when she first got on the bus and she started talking with the other patrons that are just like, aren't you glad that there aren't any black people on this bus from the the integration standpoint? They talked about how, I think they compared them to fleas. They talked, you know, poorly about them. And the first man that enters on the bus is like business class. He's got a briefcase. He's well-dressed. He's nothing like the expectations that these women are putting on them. And then along comes this woman Who not only supersedes their expectations, but almost connects with them by having the same dress code, the same hat choice. The, The woman couldn't have been more humbled by these two individuals that Flannery decided to put on the bus with them.
1: Yeah, and I think they're probably the two most important characters in the story, and they're not even the main characters. Julie and the, and the mom are, obviously, and they're the ones that have the biggest change or impact on our main characters because, yeah, they don't meet that standard stereotype. And I think Flannery's a genius here by breaking these stereotypes and showing you know, these people, basically you know, skinning them open and saying, look at your sins, look at your wrongs.
0: And it's interesting, too, because I think it's easier for us to detect from a more modern standpoint. I don't know how it was in 1968. I don't know if it was meant by this on purpose, but it seems pretty obvious to me that Julian's actions, particularly with the man when he's trying to get his attention and ask him for a match when he doesn't even smoke, he talks about specifically trying to make friends with him, but not really to make friends with him from like a humanitarian personal connection standpoint. This is all performative. To spite his mother, which is the wrong reason to use another human being is to get back at another human being. You're supposed to make connections and love other human beings, according to the Bible. And and what he's doing is exactly against that is using this other man almost as a tool to make war with his mother, as I think they quote in this part of the story.
1: I think this is where many people probably fall off of liking julian this is where they start to see him for who truly is he's like basically that modern day person that gives to charity but has to go out into the public and snap you know a picture and post it on their instagram to get that recognition and uh, you know it's and notoriety and it's good that they have done the charity, that's positive, but they've done it for the wrong reasons. And the same thing here with Julian of trying to make black friends to just go back to his work and say, hey, I have a black friend now. Like, that's totally the wrong reason to do it. And so he starts to show his true colors, pun intended, and Hmm. that, that he himself is just a different type of racist than his mother, more of a closet racist.
0: Well, and then to your point... So he gets, um, his character becomes more gray, right? And, and I think more people, like you said, fall off his wagon. But also some people, now some people like, particularly in today's age, are like, okay, the grandma's racist, I'll never be on her side, right? Like we're anti-racist, we never would agree with her. But I think some people may sympathize more, maybe not completely, but more with the grandma, or mother, sorry, when, when she starts acting all loving and generous these aren't the right words to describe but she's more open i think to the little black boy comes on when she i think she truly does find him adorable i know some people may not agree with that but i think this is maybe flannery's way of saying that the mother is kind of like uh children in being quick to forget her hate she she knows she's racist right but she is still saying i love this little boy in the sense of i think he's adorable and i want to help him out now that might be one that might be one off, and I know some people won't be there with me, but but indulge me for a moment. If you remember, we have the quote, and I remember the old darkie who was my nurse, Caroline. There was no better person in the world. So the the mother specifically cares for her, her nurse that is also a black woman, and says that there's no better person in the world. So I think she is open to letting individuals into her heart, even though her heart is corrupted with With racism, in a sense.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that, you know, this proves that at the end of your life, you reflect back on some of your mistakes. And she's realizing that maybe color didn't matter so much. And that you could interpret that way. You also could be that, you know, I know people that are very much racist people, but they love specific people of that race that they're racist against. And right. sometimes you just have that personal connection as well, uh, you know. And she obviously has a connection with children, also. So that you know, it's, she's a very complicated character, and you start to see that that she might not be all bad, and you don't sympathize with her, and you don't like her, but you're like, "Dang, she, she's not." I can't hate her anymore, and I think that's the point that you know Flannery's trying to get here is that these are both very complicated characters, and the mom isn't all bad, and Julian isn't all good.
0: Well, and to your point too. She was able to make a connection, we think. At least it was one-sided connection, at least with Caroline. And she's trying to make a connection, arguably, perhaps with this boy, maybe. But you'll notice we have that quote, he had never been successful at making any, and I won't say this word, friends, black friends, from Julian's perspective. So Julian isn't able to make any of those connections that his mom can. And the mom knows she's racist and can still make those connections. So it's very complicated the way that she has layered these gray characters
1: no yeah so the mom is genuine so are you willing to maybe forgive some of her faults because she's she's truly being honest about it where julian isn't the guy's not being genuine in his own feelings even to himself he's lying to himself and that just makes you more frustrated with him you should be like dude come on like you, 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 you serious right now?
0: <laughs> well, and he's talking about doing this to upset his mom. The quote, the, the the line that led up to that quote that I just said, was he could not push her to the extent of making her have a stroke. And I can't help but wonder that. I mean, that clearly has to be foreshadowing for this story, right? Pushing his mother to the brink, only for her to have a stroke, and that's exactly how the story ends.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he's done what he wanted to. He he accomplished that goal even though he secretly did or didn't. I don't know. Again, he's a very complicated character.
0: So let me ask you this, because this is this is going to be highly opinionated and very controversial because every reader is going to have a different interpretation. But do you think the mother was truly friends with any individuals from the black community or black race that she presented in the story?
1: I think so. I, I think that you can make the argument because of her her. Dying breath, or at least the last words of the story from her, and I think that the way that she her raised name,
0: her... Caroline, right?
1: Yeah, and I think that way that she's raised her son is indicative of her own belief system. Because even though he's doing it for the wrong reasons, he's still trying, and he may be lying to himself and lying to us about it. But I think that eventually, because of what his mother taught him, even he could get past that and realize what he's doing is wrong or how he's going about it is wrong so i think i think that yes and i I, at least and that's the you know optimistic view and you know you don't get very many optimistic views from me so no (laughs) it has to be something right it's just because it's flannery
0: (laughs) i'm shocked that you had that view personally but you you know you had these quotes from the story like you only live once and i think this is speaking to the idea of everything that rises must converge the same way that these hat brought these individuals disparate parts across the color line to be brought together. Is this woman who's incredibly racist still reaching out across the color line? Yes. Is Julian maybe reaching across for this wrong reasons? Is he trying to reach out? Yes. And maybe in a little, very little judgmental way in a very wrong way. Right. And that's why he doesn't have any friends while the mom reaching out is genuine. And at least maybe might have some friends across the color line. But, um, if, if we are to rise and to reach to heaven, to come together, Everything that rises must converge. We have to make those efforts and it has to come from an authenticity and a place of love is, I think, the way that the Bible would try to interpret that.
1: So I had kind of a thought, and I don't know like the inverse quote of this, but it's where all good intentions pave the way. Mm. So is it, could all bad intentions pave the way to heaven? Like, could you become a good person even doing bad things mm. or good things for the wrong reasons? I don't know. Like, mm. yeah. th- th- that's, it's a pretty deep thought process, I think, that Flannery's invoking, at least in me. And I think that's kind of the point of the story.
0: I, no, I completely agree. And I think we have to look at this moment of grace, right? When the mother is struck... And the son's yelling at her for no, why didn't you listen to me? You know, <laughs>
1: <We> <laughs> and he doesn't up, even see her getting hit. Right. So like we're no, kind of inferring that. Well,
0: well we don't know. She, like, she could have she could have had a stroke Stroked out early. Yeah, right. Yeah. We don't know that because that could have been the foreshadowing part. But the idea, I think, for that that moment of grace is I think she realized her mistake as she reached out for Caroline. And, and, and you remember she raked his face with with her hand. Yeah. And you'll notice that's when he kind of reverts to being the little boy again, in the same way that, you know, reverting to being a child, childlike in terms of quick to forget your hate. I think that's when, you know, to your point about wrong intentions, hopefully maybe that's when he has his moment of grace and realizes how he was living incorrectly as well.
1: Yeah, and kind of pull it all back to our religious theme, right, is that we're looking for that salvation. We're looking for the salvation of both Julian and his mother, Because we kind of want them to overcome that from a 2021 perspective to beat that, you know, and become, you know, better people.
0: Yeah. So do you agree with our view? I know we put one out there and there's always different ways to interpret literature. We'll leave a link to our friend Noah from everyone who reads it must converse who also did the story. He had a little bit of a different takeaway and we'd encourage you guys to check out different views on the story. So please go check out his channel in the link below. And of course, you know, this is what our fifth, Flannery story on here. We're going to keep going through Flannery stories. We're really enjoying her work because it I think it does cause you to question what do things mean to us and what does it mean to be authentic? You know, your your idea about paving your way to heaven. Let's move into our subjective ratings, which mean nothing to you guys, but hey, this is how we interpreted the story, Crypto.
1: Alright, so I'll throw it out there. This is This is my least favorite Flannery story. But that doesn't say anything negative about her, okay? It doesn't say anything about the story overall. I've just enjoyed her other works better. But we started off with like the creme de la creme of, you know, the Flannery O'Connor stories uh, as we're working our way through, you know, her her literature. Uh, But this one is still amazing. There's still so much to it, so much to unpack. I I love how thought-provoking it is. It makes me think about my own views, my own choices when, you know, I look at people— And I judge people because we all do that of what we look like, how we dress and everything. And to me, it brings out that kind of idea that a lot of times I talk about with friends and family of, oh, you know, I don't see color. And to me, that is just like the dumbest saying ever because it's okay to see color. You should see the beauty in that color and how that distinctiveness or that difference makes somebody uh, you know, something you can learn mm-hmm. from and learn about those people. And Flannery does that in this story. Um, so, again, maybe my least favorite Flannery story because it just doesn't live up to the hype and expectations of my other stories that I love of hers. But I'm still going to give it a solid eight.
0: Yeah. So yeah, don't don't
1: don't come at me, bro.
0: It's <laughs> it's not bad at all. And, and some people, this is their favorite Flannery story. You know, if this was your Flannery story and you had a much different interpretation, we'd love to hear from you down below. I I really enjoyed the story. I'm going to go with 8.5 for my subjective ratings.
1: I always got to one-up me, man.
0: I do. I do. Maybe I love Flannery more than you do. I don't know.
1: (gasps) How dare you?
0: Guys, we post videos every Monday and Thursday talking about literature. If you want to join us on that adventure, hit that subscribe button to join us. Una out.
1: Peace.